Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Okay, today, are you guys ready? So we're, we're kicking off these biblical feasts, and of course, we wanna kick them off with the scholar that's on our staff, and that's none other than my wife, Carrie Weems. She... I was watching football Saturday. She was reading something from some kind of rabbi or something like that. She's already done so much study on this. Come on, give her a big, big hand. And you guys get ready for a great, a great... uh, Hey, before you sit down, why don't you help me welcome all of our campuses who are joining us online. So glad that you are with us today. We love being... uh, celebrating the Sabbath with you and, and coming together in worship. So thank you. Okay, you guys can be seated. Yeah, good? and, and I oh, wanna gosh. also, hey, everyone, very important guest we have with us. This is Pastor Rusty Domain. He's not only one of the missionaries that we support, but this was the man that discipled both Carrie and I after we got saved and we were in college ministry. This is the man, all those crazy stories about the Amazon jungle. This is the guy who dropped me off in the, in the middle of the Amazon and said, figure it out. This is the guy who taught me faithfulness. This is the guy who taught me how to process pain in a healthy way. This is the guy who taught me, taught both of us grit and faithfulness and uh, We're so glad he's here today. So y'all make sure and connect with Rusty at the end of service. Awesome. All right. Are you ready to dig into the fall feasts? It's a lot more exciting than it sounds, I promise. You know, we were were singing that song, uh, the resurrected king has resurrected me, is resurrecting me and um, the verse, this verse in uh, Revelation, this passage in Revelation 19, 11, came to me because I wonder if when we are singing that, you know, I thought, I wonder what people are thinking of in their mind when they're singing, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. And um, I don't know, I thought it would be great to start off today with a picture, just a description in the Bible of this king that's resurrecting us. Because Jesus came as a lamb, but he's returning as a lion. And um, I want you to see the king that is right now ascended and seated at the right hand of God, who lives to make intercession for us and is coming back for a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. He is coming back to judge evil in this world and to bring righteous justice, to stop oppression, to heal this world. And I want you to hear this description of what the um, Apostle John saw when he saw the heavens open and he got a vision of the resurrected Christ. Are you ready? It says this, it's Revelation 19, 11. It says, I looked up and I saw that heaven had opened and suddenly a white horse appeared. Its rider is called Faithful and True. I love that. Does that not describe Jesus? He's faithful to to his covenant and he's true to his love for us. He never wavers. And with righteousness, he exercises judgment and wages war. His eyes burn like a flaming fire and on his head are many crowns. His name was written before the creation of the world and no one knew it except himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And that means not like he went and died, dipped it, dipped, died it. It means that it was, it was the hymn had blood all on it from the blood of his enemies that he waged war against. He's a fierce king. And it says this, And he was known, and the name he was known by 
is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, that's us, outfitted in fine linen, pure and white, were following behind him on white steeds. And from his mouth darts a long, sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. That's pretty terrifying. How many, that's a terrifying picture. <laughs> he will rule over them with a scepter made of iron and he will trample the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the all-powerful. And there on his robe and on his thigh was written the name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow. It's okay to clap. <laughs> this is the king that is coming back for us and he is not a passive king. He is not a defeated king. He is not a powerless king. And even right now, this is who he is, the resurrected king who has all authority over death, hell, and the grave to resurrect us for the day of his coming, that we are gonna rise up to meet him in the clouds and come back to wage war on his enemies. And I'm gonna tell you that might sound harsh right now, but when we get to that time, we are gonna be crying out as a body if we're alive to see it, that Jesus would come to this world and exercise his justice because oppression will have to cease because there's no way to heal this world outside of Jesus Christ. You know, we will stand and we'll fight injustice. We will stand and we'll be an outpost of God's glory in this earth wherever we are. But the earth is never gonna be completely healed. It's not gonna keep getting better. It's going to keep getting worse. And where the people of God are, there will be healing. There will be victory. There will be compassion. There will be love. There will be freedom. But the rest of the world, it's only getting darker. And if we think that we're gonna do enough humanitarian acts to bring back freedom and unity and healing on this earth, we are deceived because we're not. The only way that true justice is ever going to reign on this earth is when the Lord of justice, who is faithful and true, comes back to judge the living and the dead and reward his saints. Amen? So when you're out there this week at work, wherever you go, work, school, home, and you are wondering if everything's gonna turn out okay, or God is calling up on you to step through an open door and be a witness for him, I want you to remember that this is your resurrected king. This is the king for whom you stand as a light in this dark world. This is the king for whom you are an outpost of his presence to bring light and healing to your sphere of influence, amen? Amen. Awesome. Well, I am very excited to talk to you today about the fall feasts because the fall feasts actually talk to us about the return of Christ. And if you look at all the feasts, we've got three in the spring, right? And we've got a break in the summer and then we've got three in the fall. And just to review, Jesus, the spring feast, they, um, they represent the work of Jesus that he's already completed, right? And so... But the fall feasts tell us about the future and coming King. And they tell us a lot about our future. Let's just pray really quick and then we'll dive in. Father God, we love you. Jesus, we love you and we're so thankful for you. We love your word. Jesus, I thank you that your word is living and it's active and it's sharp. It teaches us, it forms us, it cuts off the things, the baggage and the weight off of our lives so that we can run with endurance the race that you've called us to. And in this room here and now, Lord, we give you our full attention. We lean into what you wanna do. And we ask that you would have your way in us and do your will through us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So really quick, um, why don't you guys put the picture of the iceberg up there on the screen? We can use this as a... um, Yes, okay, here we go. So I just wanted to start off with this illustration because if you look at this picture, if you were like sailing on top of the water, right, and you saw the top of this iceberg, you would think, wow, this is a huge iceberg. Look how big it is. But you would not even begin to understand how really and truly big it is because you can't see the bottom of it. You can't see what's underneath it. You only see the top. But the whole weight and depth and strength and bulk of the iceberg, most of it is actually underwater, right? So if your conception of the iceberg is only what you see on top, it's actually quite shallow, okay? So when we look at our faith as only what we see in the New Testament, we're actually missing the whole bottom half. This is all, all the Old Testament, everything that God did through his, nation, his people, the people of Israel, everything that he commanded to them, every book, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the prophets, the books of the um, writings, they all reveal something about Jesus. And when we don't understand them, we miss a huge component of not just what happened, yes, that's true, but we also miss a huge component of understanding who Jesus is, what his coming and our redemption really accomplished, who we really are. You see, we emerged as Christians out of this rock on the bottom. And the more we understand about that part, the more we are also going to understand about the top part. But until we understand the bottom, our faith and our understanding remains shallow. So if you'll just kind of walk with me today through the Old Testament feasts, the biblical feasts, I'd love to describe a little bit more about what they mean to us. You know, in Leviticus 23.1, it says, um, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. And I wanna call attention to this wording, the Lord's appointed festivals. He said, they're my appointed festivals and the appointed festivals of the Lord. So these are not things, he didn't say these are the appointed festivals of the Jews, these are the appointed festivals of the law. He said, these are my appointed festivals. And what that really means, appointed, it means that I have appointed times, like an appointment. These are times and seasons that I want to meet with my people. And of course we have the Holy Spirit, and I wanna be so clear before I jump into this, there is no obligation or yoke or burden on us as Gentile believers, people who are not born into the Jewish faith, there's nothing, there's no yoke or obligation on us to observe any of this. And that was made very clear in the apostolic council in the book of Acts, when Paul came to them and said, hey, do we need to have, how far do we need to go in having our Gentile believers observe the law? And they said, we just want them to do three things. We want them to abstain from meat, sacrifice to idols, be sexually pure, and remember the poor. So that's your yoke, okay? (laughs) That's all we want you to do. And we are not obligated to celebrate these things. So let's, I wanna be very clear about that. However, I think our lives and our spiritual understanding and the richness of our faith will be so expanded by at least acknowledging them and understanding them. So let's review really quick. I wanna talk about the spring feast because they show us some things about Jesus. On Passover, Jesus became the lamb whose blood redeemed us so that we will be passed over in the final judgment. 
Oh, I forgot to tell you also, my notes are gonna be available on the app at the end of the day today. So if you have the app, you don't have to worry about, you can take notes, but it's not just my PowerPoint slides, it's everything else, all the other stuff I'm saying as well. So you're gonna have a whole note so you can go back and look at it. Um, So anyway, I pick up. On first fruits, Jesus rose from the dead as the firstborn of a new creation. And on Pentecost, Jesus poured out his spirit to usher in the new covenant. So I love that. So in the first, in the first spring feast, the first feast in the spring, these are all things that Jesus has already fulfilled. He already came as the lamb of Passover. He descended into the grave, rose again, ascended to heaven as the firstborn of many brethren. In other words, this is a model of what's gonna happen to us. We're gonna go into the ground, but we're gonna rise again. Death is not gonna have the final word. And we're gonna ascend to heaven just like he did. And then he pours out the Holy Spirit on his church, fills us with the Holy Spirit. So just like I've said earlier, you are now an outpost of the, te- of the presence of God. This is why Paul says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Because before, people had to go to the temple to see God, to visit God, to hear his word. Now, God brings his temple to the world. Now he sends his temple out. And wherever you are, there is a temple filled with the presence of God, a potential encounter with heaven on earth waiting to happen everywhere you step your foot. And if you don't think that's amazing, you might not be getting it yet, but you will, so don't worry. So, but there are, there are also three fall feasts and these fall feasts point us toward the future. These are about the things that, the fall feasts point us to the things that Jesus has yet to appear, I mean, to fulfill in his second coming. And um, I wanna talk about these today. Um, and you'll, put up, you'll see up there on the screen, there's a, uh, the dates of the 2018 fall feasts, okay? And the feasts are this, today at sundown, September 9th, begins Rosh Hashanah. And the Hebrew name for that, Rosh Hashanah is actually not the original name. It was the name that they gave it while they were in exile in Babylon. But it's called Yom Teruah, or the Feast of Trumpets. And it's really about... It's a time to blow trumpets. And we're gonna talk more about that. There's a lot more to it than you might think. And then between um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, there are this, there's a section called 10 Days of Awe. 10 Days of Awe. And this was a time set aside for repentance. Now the 10 Days of Awe were not in and of themselves a proper feast. They were just a preparation for Yom Kippur. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. And then there is Yom Kippur on Wednesday, seven, uh, September 19th. And that's the Day of Atonement. And then Sunday, September 23rd through Sunday, September 30th, 2018 is the Feast of Tabernacles, which is called Sukkot, okay? And so Sukkot is just, it's about uh, just kind of reiterate, like reminding us that this world is not our home. And um, I'm gonna talk about that a little bit later as well. But um, these, these, are the, these are the feasts. And if you ever are reading, like looking at dates and it seems confusing, just remember that the Hebrew calendar starts their days at sundown and then ends it on sundown the next day. So like September 10th will begin at sundown tonight and it will end at sundown tomorrow. So sometimes the days might seem a little confusing, but they do that because in Genesis, when it says that the Lord created animals and he created the heavens and the earth, and it would say, and evening and morning were the first day. So in Genesis, God started his days at sundown. So that's how they start their days. But you don't have to start your day at sundown. It's just the way they did it. Okay, so let's talk about these feasts. Why are these feasts important to us? Well, first of all, the feasts, when you, when you look at them together, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when you look at the feasts together and you take them all together and their meanings together, did you know they tell the entire story of our redemption? Let me show you. Jesus came to earth and was the lamb that was slain 
to redeem us from our sins so that we would be passed over in judgment. He was buried and rose again and ascended into heaven as the first of a new creation. He poured out his spirit upon his church and he sent them out into the world to bring his message of hope, the gospel, to people. And in a long gap from the time he went to heaven to the time he'll come back. And that's where we live now. We live in that gap between the feast. We are the outpost. This is just what I was saying. But when he comes again, he's gonna come in glory. And the trumpet of God is gonna sound and it's gonna, it's gonna tell us that it's time for him to come back. And then he's gonna come back to judge the living and the dead. And he's gonna come to bring rewards to his saints. And then we are going to live with him forever in eternity in heaven. We're gonna live in the new heavens and the new earth with him. These are the story that the feasts tell. And God gave these feasts to his people and imagine this, okay? Every year, from the time you're born till the time you die, you went through these feasts, okay? And you experienced them. You didn't just hear about them as some sort of abstract theological truth. No, you experienced them in every way, with every sense that you have. You would hear them. You would talk about them. You would smell the smells around the preparation. You would feel you would feel, you would, through your feelings, you would feel things, you would touch, you would make things. You know, you would, you would just, every sense was involved. You would taste things. God made his feasts basically a way to enact the story of redemption, his epic story of redemption through the ages, year after year after year. And he didn't do it through just a textbook or even you know, something that was just this intellectual thing that you need to be a little bit older to understand. Little babies could be involved in it. Whole families would be involved in it. You would, maybe you would be making the matzah bread with your mother for Seder and you would say, mama, why are we um, poking holes in the matzah? And the mom would be able to say, well, because he was bruised for our transgressions. He was wounded for our sins. And because Jesus was, was pierced for our transgressions, now we can be free. No, we are forgiven. We don't have to be afraid, but God is our father. Do you see how this just keeps, you know, there's the commandments in Deuteronomy to tell these things to your children. Talk about them when you, when you come in and when you go out, when you sit down to dinner and when you rise up. But how are we gonna do that, right? These things make a place. And they keep the history of Israel alive and they keep the future of the church alive. They kept the story, you know, their story of redemption is our story of redemption, there's only one redemption for us both. It's Jesus Christ. And so it keeps the story of our redemption alive. And I love this. How many of you are teachers or you, you know something about education? You would know that people all learn in different ways. I'm a visual learner. I really have to see something to be able to really, really get it in. But Stovall's an audio, an audio learner, so is my son. They really get distracted by looking at visuals. They actually, it's better for them to just listen. There's some people who learn by touching, the kinetic learners. There's some people who learn by doing. Isn't it amazing that God included all those ways of learning in his feast? Isn't that awesome? It's amazing. God, knew, God knows psychology, it's incredible. So listen to these ways. So talking about the, the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. I wanna read some things. The, the, the Rosh Hashanah marks the beginning of the new year, the Jewish new year. It literally means the head of the year. Starts today at sundown. And they would blow on Rosh Hashanah. They blew this thing called a shofar. If you were here on um, Wednesday, you got a great 
uh, you got a great experience of this because Pastor Paul Wilbur actually had someone who's skilled in blowing a shofar to come and to um, show us what it sounds like. And it was, it was way more, I've never heard it before, to be honest. And I was like, oh, that's gonna be cute. But when he did it and explained it, it was powerful. And so we're gonna get a chance to hear that um, today at the end of the service. But the shofar was born at the Feast of Trumpets. It was, just, it was meant to herald the coming of a king or the crowning of a king. And um, I wanna show you how this word shofar, it sounds like, like it is just an ancient Hebrew word, but we actually find it in the New Testament in association with the return of Christ. So I'm gonna read a few scriptures for you, okay? First thing is 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. And I'm using the complete Jewish Bible if you wonder what um, version I'm using. It's, it says, look, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, look, I'll tell you a secret. Not all of us will die, but we'll all be changed. It will take but a moment, the blink of an eye, at the final shofar. For the shofar will sound and the dead will be raised to live forever and we too will be changed. So listen, when you think of shofar, it's translated trumpet in your Bible, but it should be, you don't need to think of like marching band trumpets, like do, 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 do. Like don't think of the marching bands that you're gonna see on the football fields. It was a huge curly, like ram's horn, or it might look like a kudu horn if you've ever seen a kudu. So when, that's the sound you're gonna hear. It's not gonna sound like the brass band at your high school, okay? And, Paul's, and, and the word is shofar. This is a special trumpet. And look here in Matthew 24, when Jesus is actually talking about his return, he says, he, meaning Father God, will send out his angels with a great shofar. And they will gather together his chosen people from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus said, God is gonna send back his angel to gather in his people from all over the earth and the signal is gonna be the blowing of the shofar. Look here in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Again, this is, um, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a rousing cry, with a call from one of the ruling angels and with God's shofar. Those who died united with the Messiah will be the first to rise, telling us about the order of resurrection. So he says, Jesus is gonna come back and when he's come back, he's gonna have the, the angel with him with the shofar and they're gonna blow the trumpet. And this is the sound that you will hear when it's time for the, when, when the resurrection is about to take place. This signals to you that Jesus is coming back. And I wanna talk a little bit because Rosh Hashanah is meant for us to prepare ourselves for the day of atonement. So it's meant to wake us up and focus us on the return of the king. And then the day of atonement is the day of, it represents both judgment and mercy. We'll talk about that a little bit. But in between those, that there's 10 days of awe. These 10 days of awe. And I wanna talk about this a little bit because actually the 10 days of awe will start on Monday. And they'll last until September 19th. Is that what I said? Yep. Let me just make sure I don't want to. Yeah, September 19th, okay? And what the days of all were is the day, during these 10 days of all, it was believed that the Lord God opened the books in heaven and he looked at every single person and their deeds and he made judgment over them as to whether their deeds were righteous or not. And then that judgment was pronounced on the day of atonement when Israel's sins were, were able to be forgiven. And on the day of atonement, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and offer the sacrifice for the sins of Israel. And then they, they would be forgiven. And then they had this red cord that kind of hung down the, um, holy, the side of the temple. And if God accepted their sacrifice, in other words, if the priest did not get struck dead, they would then take, take away the red cord and put out a white cord. And you can imagine the whole nation going, oh, God. 
Okay, so let me tell you about this. The, day, the, the 10 days of awe were a time for people to really focus on self-examination and to really take an intentional look at their lives and see if there's, see the ways that they have fallen short. So it was a time to repent to the Lord, to confess your sins to God, right? But it was also a time for you to make restitution or restoration with the rest of, of the people of God. Because during this time, you, couldn't, you could confess your sins to God, your sins against God, right? That only he knows about. But then there's also this part, we know that you can only be, you can be reconciled to God, but you also have to be reconciled to your neighbor. So because everybody wanted to get in as much, basically as much mercy as they could during this time, because the thought was, once you got to the day of atonement, whatever was not repented of, the consequences of that act would then carry over into your next year. So everyone was trying to wipe their slate clean. They were trying to make right with everyone. So it would also include people um, remembering, oh, I owe this person money. I need to go pay back my money. Oh, you know what? I really shouldn't have done this to this person. I'm gonna give this back to them. Or, oh, I broke this person's whatever, their, their favorite lamp, and I'm gonna go give them another lamp. Or I know I've been having, there's, a, there's, a, there's something between me and this person and it's not right, and I wanna go make it right. Um, there's, they, would go, they would go repent to each other. They would heal grudges that they had with each other. They would confess when they sinned against someone that, hey, no, that was me that spread that rumor against you and I'm so sorry. Would you please, ask, would you please forgive me? It was a time that not only they made peace with God and confessed their sins to God, but they also made peace with one another and confessed their sins to each other so that they could be healed. And you can almost see during this time of the 10 days of all that the body of Israel, if you will, was healing itself by humility and reconciliation and confession. You know, there's something so healing about confession. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I think we all probably have but you're holding something inside, something maybe you're struggling with, and you think, I'm so ashamed of this, and nobody probably, everyone would think I'm weird if they knew I was dealing with this, but you find this one person you trust, and you work up the courage to go confess to them, look, I'm really struggling with this. And they say, really? You know, I used to struggle with that too. And all of a sudden, you're like, ah, I'm not the only one. And you don't feel alone anymore. And you have somebody that can tell you how to get through it and pray with you and it can understand you. And there's something about taking that thing that you're struggling with outside of the darkness where you hold it in. We keep it hidden, right? We keep it in the dark. And we say it out loud to someone who can pray with us and can help us and help us make you know, roads toward freedom and help us find forgiveness in that time. And we're not alone anymore. And just bringing it into the light it's such a relief. It's like the minute you say it, it's just all of a sudden you're, you're so much lighter because confession heals. And God, you know, that's why the Bible says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Because when you carry along with you something, a sin that you've done against someone else or something that you're struggling with that you need prayer for to overcome, you're just carrying weight and you can't really get healed. So the devil tricks us into thinking that people will hate us or they won't love us if, we, if they know the truth about us. But the truth is, when people know the truth about us, they can love us more authentically. And isn't it amazing that the most holy being in the entire universe knows everything about you? He knows every wicked thought. He knows every strand of hatred. He knows the weird things about you that nobody else knows. He knows the sources of your greatest shame. And not only 
Does he love you anyway? He actually doesn't even ask you to get rid of him before he loves you. He actually says, don't worry. I don't want those things to stand between us. So, and so you won't worry about that. I'm gonna step in as you and I'm gonna become the shame of that thing so you don't have to carry it anymore. Is that amazing? God is so full of love for us. And I, in fact, think if you went to Jesus and you said, Jesus, I have to confess this. I'm so struggling with this. You know what Jesus would say? You know what? I understand because I was tempted by that too. I wanna say that again. Jesus would say, I understand because I was tempted by that too. And I overcame it by the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so can you. You know, the book of Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest, this is Jesus, who was tempted in every way just as we are. And not only was he tempted in every way just as we are, and he overcame it, but then when he was on the cross, he actually became that sin that we, were, that we struggle with so that he could take the curse for it and take it off of us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus, can I tell you this? Jesus is not ashamed of you. You might be ashamed of yourself. You might think other people are ashamed of you, but he is not ashamed of you. The Bible says in Hebrews, yes, this amazing clap for him because he deserves glory. He deserves thanks and praise for that. He deserves our undying love and loyalty for that because he actually died of loyalty to us. And so we return that to him. But the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he presents us before the throne of God. We can come boldly because we're with him. We come before the mountain of God, the souls of righteous men made perfect. We come before the apostles, the court, the council of God. God himself and Jesus brings us with him. And the Bible says he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He walks into that space with us, that holiest of space with his arm around us and says, hey, y'all, this is my brother. I want y'all to meet him. This is my sister. I want you to meet her. She's awesome. You're gonna love them. You see, that is how Jesus always sees you. That is how God always sees you. And he loves you so much. So you don't need to be ashamed. When I talk about repentance, I'm not talking about beating yourself over the back. I'm talking about taking the reality of your life, the darkest points of shame, the places of weakness that, you, that nobody else knows, the things that you think possibly is in some weird way that you're hiding from God, but we can't hide anything from him, but you haven't confessed it because of your shame. I'm talking about there is, take them to him. He already knows about them. He loved you before you ever were born, before you could ever commit those sins, before you could ever struggle with those things, before you could ever relapse, before you could ever backslide. He loved you before he knew you were gonna do that and he still died. So it's not a problem. It's not a problem, your loyalty to him in return for his loyalty to you is the issue. So when God comes to judge, the earth, you know what he's bringing for you? Those of us who are in Christ, he's not bringing judgment. That is miraculous in itself. For us, he's bringing a reward. He's gonna bring a reward for the way that we have lived, for the good works that we have done. 
And I wanna tell you right now, this is so amazing. As long as you were on this earth, do you know that every small act of goodness overturns spiritual worlds on the other side? We can't see it. We can't feel it. We think this is insignificant. Oh, I just held the door open for this person. Oh, I just went out of my way to pray for this person. Oh, I saw this lady that was having trouble walking in the store, so I put my, let her hold onto my arm and talk to her. Oh, I just kind of, um, yeah, what, I just picked up this person's mess. I just smiled at this, and we're thinking that's inconsequential. Jesus says, if you give a person a cup of water in my name, you will not lose your reward. You see, God lets us... He lets us participate in showing people what his kingdom looks like by loving each other. And when we obey him, the smallest act of obedience overturns spiritual worlds. And so it's really easy to store up treasures on this side of heaven. And once we cross the line of eternity, we won't be able to store up anymore. And I think sometimes, I'm speaking for myself here, the things that I might would think would earn me the biggest rewards things like speaking on a stage or, I don't know, things that might be public, I think those might be the things that don't earn me the biggest rewards. I think what matters most is what I do behind the door of my home, how I treat my family. How I speak to our staff if I confer dignity on them or if I boss them around like a dictator. I think those are the things that God looks at because those show who I really am. And it shows how much of the, it's easy to be really holy on the stage for 40 minutes. It's a lot harder to be really holy day in and day out with the people in your home, right? And so I think you will be surprised by the things that you get rewards for on the other side of eternity. And so, Looking at the return of the king, I kind of got off there a little bit, okay? These are the 10 days of awe. In the 10 days of awe, we're, we're, we're confessing our sins and we're in a place of repentance and we're making restitution with each other, restoration with each other, we're confessing to God. And aren't you glad that Jesus's forgiveness doesn't just last for 10 days? I'm so glad we don't only have 10 days to remember all the things we've done wrong. That would be a real problem for me. I don't know if I could do it or not. But Jesus is always ready to forgive us. The 10 days of awe are always. We're always in awe of his glory. We're always in awe of his forgiveness. We're always in awe of his faithfulness. We're always in awe of his love toward us. And the, and the door doesn't shut, right? So what does this mean to us? All these feasts that we've talked about, what does it mean to us? Well, at least, at the very least, these fall feasts are a reminder that Jesus is coming, and that his return is imminent. In other words, it is unavoidable, it will be here. And I believe and feel in my heart and my spirit that the days of us seeing, like waiting before the Lord's return are growing shorter and shorter and shorter. The days until his return are actually growing shorter and they are speeding up in, in, in time. They're just going faster. If you just look at it, just from a common sense point of view, look from the time that the cell phone was invented Let's go back a little bit more. Let's look at the time from when the internet was invented. If you remember AOL dial-up, I'm talking about that, right? Okay, think of that and where we are today. Would you have ever thought, you couldn't even imagine that you would be carrying around the world in your back pocket on a four by six inch screen. But what, what kind of damage has that done to us? Along with the progress, right, there's come a lot of very terrible side effects. 
And that could be a whole other message in and of itself, but don't think that the rise in suicides among teens are not related to that. And don't think it is some kind of accident that the logo for Apple is a bitten apple. And also, don't think for a minute that it's just a coincidence that the serpent in the garden offered Adam and Eve knowledge in exchange for their loyalty. And daily, we are offered knowledge and experience through this device many times in exchange for our loyalty to God and to each other. I don't think that that's insignificant. Not trying to make a doctrine out of it. I just think, you know, something interesting to observe. Do with it what you will. But what I will say is as the day grows closer, I think that no, we can't know the day or the hour that Jesus is going to return. This is what he told us. But to put that in greater context, he did rebuke the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in his day for not discerning the time and the season of his first coming. And he did rebuke and admonish his disciples after he ministered to the woman at the well for not having the eyes to see that the time for harvesting had come, that the harvest was ripe, the laborers, the fields were white, right, um, white, I'm sorry, white unto harvest, and that they needed to be laborers in the harvest. He rebuked them for not being able to see that time and season. So I think that we can and should discern the time and season, even though we don't know the day or the hour. So we know the times and seasons. That doesn't mean we know the exact day and hour. So my, my thought makes logical sense to me that since Jesus has already fulfilled the feast of the spring, everything that's in the spring with his first coming, that his second coming won't be in the spring. It'll probably be in the fall. And since Rosh Hashanah kicks off a time where we herald the coming king with some trumpets, I don't know. I think it might make sense to imagine that he could come around sometime during this time. I mean, it makes sense to me. He came as a lamb at Passover. Why not come as a returning king at the Feast of Trumpets? He went down into the ground and rose again on the, on the first fruits. Why not come and judge the living and the dead on the Day of Atonement? He poured out the Holy Spirit to make a people, a, a, a holy nation and a kingdom of priests unto himself, the church. Why not then gather his people from the four, the four corners of the earth and bring them up to heaven to live with him on Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. I don't think that it, that's weird. I mean, it, it follows the pattern that we see in the spring feast. I'm not saying what day it will happen. I don't know if it's gonna happen at five o'clock, six o'clock. I don't know if it's gonna happen this year or 10 years from now, but I think a season that we should be alert, especially alert during, is this season. Right? And um, I don't, I don't know, ever since I realized this, I mean, I get so excited on Rosh Hashanah because I'm like, Jesus, is this a year? <laughs> Are you coming back? Because seriously, like I'm ready. What you will experience on the other side of eternity, it's like, this is just like nothing. This is like a sand pit. It's like a dirt hole. Like when I was young, I used to go fishing in the ditch with a piece of bacon for crawfish. That is what this world is like. You're fishing in a ditch with a piece of bacon for crawfish with your bologna sandwich, which is made of beef tongue, by the way. If you still eat it, now you won't. That is what this earth and anything it has to offer you is like compared to what Christ is going to reveal and give to us at his return. 
whatever you're waiting, whatever you're thinking, oh, I hope he doesn't come back now. If, unless it's like, repent and get ready and get excited because there is nothing on this side that you won't, that you're gonna miss when you go to that side. I promise you. And so every time around the fall feast, when they come now, I just start to prepare my heart in an excited way. I wanna get my heart ready to see Jesus and to hear the return of his, his you know, be ready to hear that trumpet and know that my heart is prepared. And I wanna circle back around to Revelation. I'm gonna read Revelation 11, 15 through 18, because I want you to see what's gonna happen. This is John, the apostle in the book of Revelation. And he says, in verse 15 of Revelation 11, the seventh messenger sounded his shofar and great voices in heaven confessed. The kingdom of the world has given way to the kingdom of our Lord and of his anointed one. And he will reign throughout the ages. And then the 24 elders who sit before God on their thrones fell prostrate and worship God. They fell down on their faces from their thrones and they began to worship God. And they said, we give you thanks, Lord God, the all powerful who is and who was, for you have wielded your great power and you have begun your reign. And the nations have raged against you, but your wrath has finally come. It is now time to judge all of the dead, to give a just reward to your servants, the prophets, and to the saints and all who honor your name. That's us, both the small and the great, and to destroy those who cause destruction to the earth. So I wanna talk about judgment for one second here, okay? There is evil on the earth. We all know this. And we ask ourselves all the time, why do all these bad things happen? Why does God, if he's all powerful and all loving, does he not step in and make those things stop? Let me tell you, there's coming a day when he will. He will. There's going to be a day when the heavens split and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is gonna touch down on the Mount of Olives and he's gonna wage war against every evil thing that has ever corrupted the face of this earth. And he's gonna drag his, his, those people that are enemies captive in front and he's gonna expose them for who they really are. And he's gonna say this, Corporate greed, this is evil. Oppression, this is evil. Come into the light, child abuse, you are evil and wicked. Come into the light, slavery, you are wicked and evil. Come into the light, racism, I pronounce judgment on you. You are wicked and evil. Come into the light, greed, I pronounce judgment on you. You're wicked and you're evil. There's gonna come a day when he will come down in the clouds and he is gonna stop everything that is evil in this world. He's gonna wipe every tear. He's gonna stop every sickness. He's gonna stop every pain. He's gonna conquer death finally. There will not be one more suicide. There will not be one more car accident. There will not be one more struggle with depression. There will not be one more death untimely. But when that day comes, not one more son or daughter of God will have the opportunity to return home. So while we ask and wonder why God doesn't stop, step in and stop evil, remember that one day he will and it is by his great patience and love for all of his sons and daughters that are on this earth, redeemed and unredeemed, that he holds back. Amen? So I wanna close out here. I wanna, I wanna just show you what these shofar sound. Now that you understand the shofar and how it's related to the return of Jesus and to us as believers, I wanna, sh I wanna let you hear how they sound because it's pretty powerful. And each of the, there's four trumpet blasts that go with um, 
that go with uh, Rosh Hashanah, and they each have different meanings, okay? So I'm gonna tell you the name of the call and what it means, and then you're gonna get to hear it. So the worship team can go ahead and start to come out now. And um, after this, I'm gonna hand it over to the campus pastors and to Stovall, and we'll close out. So the first trumpet blast, this, is, this one goes first, it's called Tekiah, and it's one long blast. And this blast signifies wake from your sleep, rise up from your complacency, get ready and prepared to, to receive what is about to come. And also it's a call to worship God with all of your heart. So when they hear this sound, this is what they know. It's time to wake up. Awake, O sleeper, and rise for the dead. Rise from the dead. This is what you're gonna hear. Go ahead and play it. So that will be one of the trumpet blasts. The next blast is called Shevarim. Shevarim. We might not be saying that right. And this is three medium blasts. Now, this blast represents repentance and brokenness. This, to me, is kind of correlated with the 10 days of awe. The word shavar actually means broken. And so it represents, because of, it has sort of a wave after wave, like a couple of waves of blows, that it represents the, the bowing and the brokenness of the contrite heart before God. So let's hear that one. So that's what that is. And then the third one is terroir. And it's nine short kind of staccato sounds. And this is a call to warfare and a call to celebration. It means that this is when Jesus is returning. This is the sound of Jesus returning. He's coming to do war on his enemies. And but we can come, we can already be celebrating his victory because we know that he wins. The resurrected king is resurrecting us. So let's listen to what that sounds like. I want to hear that one again. Okay, let's hear it again. Maybe that's what we're going to hear in the sky, right? When Jesus comes back. And then this last one is called Takia Gedola. And it's one extra long blast. And I think this is the, this is the final trumpet blow. I, personally, I kind of think that this is like when Jesus really takes us back and he's pulling us up to the clouds with him. I don't know. Maybe there's not that direct of a correlation. But um, this, this traditionally heralds the arriving of a king or the crowning of a king. And it traditionally celebrates and declares that Yahweh God is king of the universe and that we are his good creation. Because one of the things that Rosh Hashanah also celebrates is God creating the universe. And so throughout synagogues all over the world, Genesis 1 is read as, as part of the um, service. But um, you know, it's, it's part of the fact that we are God's good creation and that he is going to return eventually and set all things right. But now we look at this with a redemptive layer, right? The redemptive layer of the work of Jesus Christ over it. And we realize that we are God's good creation that is less and less good by the day. But one day, our king is going to return and make it right. He's going to to return and crush the head of the serpent He's going to return and bring justice to the earth. He's going to return and give rewards to his children. And he's gonna return and heal the nations. And we're gonna see the earth as it was always meant to be because our King will be here. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who died to take away the sins of the world, will come back as the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he will be here to make all things right. So let's hear that sound. 
We give you honor, Lord. Amen. Oh, there you are. So I'm gonna hand it off now to um, the campus pastors and to Stovall. And um, I hope that you've just been inspired maybe to participate in some way, in your own way, in the way that God leads you over the next 10 days. And I'm expectant for what God is gonna do in us as his church. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.